Consequence Podcast Network. This okay. episode brought to you by Nick, Nick B. B. Uh, Nick B. Fun <laughs> fact this week. It's short, oh, yeah. simple, facty. He cuts his nails by chewing them off, and I think it's really disgusting. Wait, wait. Like bites his nails? Hands yeah, or toenails? Both. Oh, he's got a real foot and mouth disease. Gross. <laughs> Hand, foot and mouth disease is no joke. My kids had that. And that's <laughs> terrible. Yeah, you need to get a fun file. Ooh. And that way you're excited about doing your nails and you don't want to bite them. There's also a Berenstain Bears book about how to break that bad habit, too. Is it Berenstain or Berenstain? <gasps> Nick B. Oh, Nick B is Berenstain. Oh, my oh gosh. My Nick God. B, are it you responsible fits. for this? Oh, my God. It all it fits. It goes all the way to the top. <laughs> <laughs> this episode also brought to you by Ryan. Ryan. So this time I am mad at Ryan, like for real Ryan. Wait, for the real, real Ryan? For real, real Ryan. But I'm not really. It's a secret. Um, <laughs> I gotcha. <laughs> it's not a good secret if you I... whisper it into the microphone, Jen. <laughs> this is just between me and Ryan. She knows what's up. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think I'm going to change this a little bit, and I hope this is okay with Ryan because I just I'm feeling too negative, and I don't like being mad at people all the time. So Ryan keeps making me be mad at people. Yeah, Jen um, only has the energy to be mad at one person all the time, and that's person's me so butt out ryan <laughs> i might change it up a little bit and talk about things that i'm happy about and grateful for um and i am grateful for ryan because she Aww. allowed me this opportunity to vent for so long so thank you ryan you're amazing Aww. you are Aww. the best so now it's time for another fun swedish fact brought to you by mads this one's i think my favorite one so far the Swedish Uh-oh. Tourist Association created a Swedish number. When anyone dialed that number, they were connected to a random Swede who could talk about anything. <laughs> Can we call that number right now? I do have that number. Oh, no. I just checked. Uh, the Swedish number is now closed. Thanks oh. to everyone who called Sweden. Uh, in total, the world spoke to random Swedes for over a year. Holy shit. I mean, do we have a Swedish area code? Oh my God. While they were doing this, the total call duration for the year they were doing it was 367 days. This is like Swedish chat roulette. It is. They took almost 200,000 calls (gasps) and the top country that called, can you guys guess? Sweden? No, you wouldn't call you wouldn't call from Sweden to a random Swedish person. But yeah, 32% of the calls came from America. The second oh, yeah. highest country was from the UK at 7%. Mm, all those Swedophiles out there. Oh man. I, I mean, I get it, man. I feel like I missed out. I think I should just keep dialing that number until I get an attractive female voice. I mean, that would be all of them. They grow them yeah. on trees over there, Mikey. Now we return you to another episode of The Patrioticals. Okay, so this episode opens on Matthew, who's awake now. He's in a really nice office. Ooh. Mm. And he's eating sausages. (laughs) And in the the room is Isaac. And he's like, don't you like your meal or whatever? (gasps) Oh, no. Uh What's in the sausage? Oh, no. <laughs> and then you got a big sausage hanging out of his mouth like Franklin. No, oh, not yeah. like Franklin. <laughs> exactly Matthew like would Franklin. Never be no. like Franklin. <laughs> and then Isaac tells him, You're eating the flesh of a man. And then, my, mm. and then Matthew's confused because he, he has amnesia. Oh my God. What is a man? <laughs> what is a man? And Matthew's oh like, I don't God. know if I like it here. And Isaac's like, You're going to learn to like it. Wow. This sounds like an abusive relationship. <laughs> 
it is definitely an abusive relationship. Yeah. Down in the basement, Miggy Mac, chief torturer of Thunderdome, he's falling in love with the koala. Not, well, but like, how could you not? In a best I mean, friend they're way. adorable. Right. Not a romantic. Yeah. I don't think he walked into the torture room with the koala and was like, yo, want to smash? Yeah. And he's like, <laughs> he's like taking care of the burns and stuff. And like they right. go for walks Aww. every day and they hold Aww. hands and they're becoming <laughs> best friends. <laughs> I love it. And then he like keeps the koala in the back as he tortures other guys that have made Isaac mad. That checks out. But he's starting to learn that he doesn't like torturing anymore. Well, how so could koala's you? plan is working. Yes. yes the koala's plan is working. Nice. I see you, Koala. Now we're cutting to a giant big battle where Eddie leading a herd of rhinos and uh, riding atop the lead one. I want to ride a rhino. (laughs) It's charging him into a bunch of war rigs and Mad Max style stuff. But he also has some dune buggies from his people. And one of those is Tristam. Wait. Tristam is a dune buggy or he's driving a dune buggy? He's, this is he's very driving important. a dune okay, buggy. Okay, okay, okay. I don't know if we crossed over into the Transformers universe or not, but I just want to right, make sure. Yeah. yeah. No. So there's a bunch of like war rigs, Mad Max style stuff. And on one side, there's a bunch of rhinoceros and dune buggies. Tristan is leading a dune buggy. Also, Eddie makes like this heartfelt and passionate Independence Day style speech, but we don't understand it because he's speaking in rhino. <laughs> <laughs> He's talking to the animals. You just see the rhinos like, yeah, we're going to do this. <laughs> they yeah. may take our, but they'll never take our. <laughs> yes. And uh, Michael, who's been rewarded by becoming leading leader of the army of Isaac is driving the big war rig. And he's like all about like killing all the rhinos and stuff. And they're all about to face off together in this giant, giant battle. And then Uh-oh. cut away at the end. And you see Kate. She Uh-oh. is on the outs. She snuck into Thunder Dovington with nice. Mr. Bubbles and her owl, and she's taught mm-hmm. Mr. Bubbles to use a shotgun. <laughs> Bubbles with a shotgun. I'm sorry. I just love the thought. It's an orangutan, right? Mr. Bubbles is an orangutan, <laughs> right? Correct. I look, like running around with a shotgun. <laughs> yes. Wow, Mr. Bubbles and a shotgun. They're sneaking in, and Kate's like, "Remember, you two, we're here to find Matthew and bring him home." So yeah, she snuck said- in. Mm-hmm. What will happen when the rhinos meet up with the dune buggies? Will Kate be able to save Matthew? Find out next week on another episode of The Patreonicals. This episode finally brought to you by Chris. Chris wants everyone to know that they are loved and they are not alone. And even though it feels like we're all alone right now, that's not true. You know how I know I'm not alone? Because Facebook added the cares emote. Oh, did they? Oh, well, I mean. What if you felt alone before the pandemic? Well, Mikey, there's probably some things you can talk about with your therapist about that. <laughs> yeah. Chris wants everyone to know that they are loved, but he is not your letting everyone know that they are loved. <laughs> you should follow Chris on the socials because he, um, like, I'll post just about being stressed and he always just shoots me a little kind message and it's really sweet. He is a very, very sweet dude. Yeah. He really backs up what he says. Yes. Even my mom awesome. like commented on something he said and was like, that guy seems really nice. I think she's onto something there, Mikey. So thank you, Chris. Yeah, thank you, guys. You guys and hey, Chris, we love you, too, and you're not alone either. Guys, guys, we have to climb down this cube, but we can't make any noise, especially you, theme music. Don't make any noise. I'm climbing yeah. down, and I don't want the traps to go off. <laughs> <laughs> I like dressing as a Care Bear because instead of like creepily staring at women, it's just a Care Bear stare. 
<laughs> Welcome to the horror virgin, everyone. I'm Jen. I'm Mike. And I'm your horror virgin, Todd, which means I don't like scary movies, but you guys make me watch them. And this week, you guys made me watch the independent sci fi from Canada horror movie, yeah. Cube. I'm surprised Jen likes this movie. One, it's science fiction. Right. And two, it's Canadian. <laughs> I like Canadian stuff. I'm kidding. If you guys heard what she said off mic about those poutine eaters, those are her words. <laughs> okay, her here's words. why I'm mad at poutine. <laughs> I am just now you can't fucking eat it. yes, because it's French fries with delicious shit on top of them. French fries are already my number one yeah. favorite food. I thought it was some kind of poi something. No, poutine is very different. But it's like delicious, a delicious bowl of food that I want to eat right now. Right. And why am I just now finding out it exists? Yeah, it's amazing. This is my first time seeing this movie, clearly, uh, but you guys Uh have seen it before, right? So, Jen... When did you see this movie the first time? It must have been college or shortly after when okay. I watched it for the first time. And what did you think about it the first time you saw it? I loved it the first time I saw it. I thought it was really unique and I thought it was really cool. Yeah. Um, and I think there's still a lot that I really like about this movie and it is kind of more a gen movie. Um, but I can definitely see the late 90s in it. You oh, know, yeah. There are some things that do not hold up and we'll, and some things yeah. that are dated. But I mean... I really like it, and I think it's going to be fun for me to talk about. Mikey, when did you first see this movie? I saw it in high school, and then I loved okay. it, and I made like all my friends watch it in high school and college. This seems like something that someone at college would have made me watch, yeah. <laughs> I was like, this is highbrow independent film. Oh, my God. <laughs> I think there are elements of that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm not laughing at him because he's not right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just laughing at how douchey and cringy I was when I made people watch it. But this movie, I think this movie's good. It, it holds up. Does it? I like I like it as much as Jen, I think. Uh, okay. I think there's elements of it that have not aged well. Right. Yeah. Like the movie. I, like It's very much of its time, I think. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But I also think there are elements that are timeless and that I still find relevant today. Yeah, absolutely. You know? I think I think it could be remade. I mean, I know there's like four sequels to this movie. What? Well. They made sequels to this? <laughs> I've got fun facts about it. Yeah. Are you serious? <laughs> Todd in one of the sequels that the cube is a time machine inside. What <gasps> the fuck really oh my apparently god apparently the sequels are terrible so this is the first time i saw this movie clearly mm-hmm. um so for me it's not a matter of did it hold up because i didn't see it originally but i honestly like respect what they were trying to do but this really feels like a high budget student film to me and so mm-hmm. it feels like everyone who's in it the acting the writing the directing Everyone feels like it's their first movie and they're fucking nailing it for their first movie, if that makes sense. I feel like most of the acting is decent, except the Mm. person who needs to act the best. The cop does Mm, not. Quentin. Yeah. I feel like that's what kind of makes the movie fall apart towards the end is his acting. Yeah, I'll tell you, the only people I had trouble with their acting were Levin, Holloway, Worth, Kazan, (laughs) Anderson, Reigns, and Quentin. Those are the only six people I had an issue with their acting. And I think it's partly their acting, but partly the script. I I think so, too. Yeah, yeah. I I, I will say that I completely agree with you, Jen. I think it's also the script. And that's what I mean. Like, it feels like a a high-budget student film where everyone's like fucking crushing it but it's their first time out you know i do think it's a lot like i think it was his first directing movie i think it was and i they like worked out this stuff in college so yeah yeah and that's what i'm saying like it's not a great film film yeah it's it's, it plays on some interesting themes that i like Mm -hmm. and i just don't think it was executed great but like that would be like me making a film now 
I wouldn't be able to make a film right. this good right now. Right. Well, and compared to a lot of college movies, like this is Fuck really yeah. good, you know? I've seen a lot of student films in my days and they all suck. This is much better than that. But what I do like about it and what I think a lot of student films don't have is like a vision for what they want it to be. And I do yeah. think this movie has a clear vision of sure. what it's trying to do. I don't know if it's always successful at that for kind of what we were just talking about. But I mean, it definitely knows what it wants to be. And I really like what it's trying to be. So I think I allow it to be a little more in my head than what it actually is, which is the kind of movie I love. I love movies where I can pick apart like elements of society. Absolutely. And I think if you had given this writer, director and even the actors like five more years and most of the actors are still working, you know, giving them five more years to like hone their craft, whatever it is, acting, directing, writing, whatever, and then give them Mm -hmm. a a little bit bigger of a budget. This could have been a fucking dope movie. And it's not bad. It's just not great you know but it, yeah it's like they didn't quite get there yeah. i think the problem with the movie and i still think i like it a lot is that it's just the first half all of those social things are pretty subtle and they become so blunt in the second half like when she makes the joke like quentin you must be interested in young women like that was enough for that whole thing to go through but then like he has to like hit on her at the end i'm like I'm like it doesn't have to be so heavy-handed at the end like they basically call each other like hippie and like Nazi and like, and like all, yeah. I mean like all that stuff was subtle. And then when it comes to the forefront, I think it kind of falls apart a little bit. Yeah. I literally wrote, this is Ayn Randian levels of like beating me over the head with what your point is. I think they're trying to make very different points. Like Ayn Rand was not trying to make this point, but right. Ayn Rand like beats you over the head with it. What I like about it is what I think the underlying point is, is when you are in position of stress, that stress makes you more of who you are and it pulls up that underneath and it just keeps escalating. So I like when it keeps escalating the personalities because I think we, and I like when I'm looking at it at the moment we're in right now, I think we're starting to see a lot of that heavy handed action coming up to the surface now, just in how people are acting. So I liked seeing that, like this is the seeds in the first half. This is what happens when you don't do anything about those seeds. You know, this is how Mm. it manifests and this is how it tears everything apart so i like that it escalates to give you a real world example of that literally at the michigan protest yesterday yep. for the shelter at home there was a woman carrying a sign that in german said work will set you free which is the exact phrase that was over the main door in auschwitz so mm-hmm. yeah i mean there is some crazy shit going on that sort of has escalated yep. us to this point so that's an interesting point Jeff. i was point. thinking specifically of that at, at a certain part that we'll get to and to that end let's just get into this fucking movie we start with an eye opening and and the the opening of this movie i love because we yeah. have a man laying on the floor of what is we're gonna find out is a cube and it's a big cube with like white like kind of i actually kind of like how the cubes are designed because it's like for you star trek nerds out there it looks like the outside of a board cube but with like yes. bright light i was just gonna say it did remind me of that <laughs> yeah and honestly it was um like all the panels had different shit on it and it was really really cool i i really really like mm-hmm. the layout of it I mean, for it being literally like the inside of a Rubik's Cube, it was really cool. Yeah. And we'll see different colors of the cubes throughout. And this is a white one, but it's like a giant bathroom tile kind of thing. That's what I kind of saw. If you're an Android, that's what your bathroom would look like. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Oh, my God. He's in the name of the movie, Jen. (laughs) (gasps) Okay, so there's a man laying on the floor and he's wearing like gray pajama, like prison kind of clothes. Yeah, I thought they were green. But yeah, I mean, it's I honestly don't know. 
darkish grayish yeah. green yeah. kind of yeah which is what um, everybody ends up wearing with their last name yes. on there yeah it's sort of like they're in prison it's like prison garb sort of it is yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um and so he turns a knob on a giant floor thing because in this cube in the middle sections of the cubes there are actually doors and you can kind of turn a spike kind of knob thing and it opens a door and you can look into another cube. Right. Yeah. So there's six in every room, right? Floor, yes. ceiling, and four sides. They're mm-hmm. like submarine hatches, but like square. Exactly like yeah. that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so he looks out and he looks into a blue cube because there's a little like crawl space in there. And then the door closes behind him and he's in another door. In another room. But he actually climbs into the orange cube. Yeah. And he jumps in and the door closes behind him and then and we hear whack and he's like stunned and you start to see little like cuts on his face that are starting to bleed. And then this is so fucking cool. His body starts to fall apart. Yes. Into like tiny little cubes. So <gasps> he, he became the, into name the name of, of the, the movie. movie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, I thought he fell to pieces due to the stress. Oh, no, I he, mean, did, yeah. he did fall to pieces like the Velvet Revolver song for sure. Yes, I, I, I did love that. Like He literally wakes up in the name of the movie and then he quickly shows us what the sequel will be, which is Cubes with a dollar mm-hmm. sign because there are multiple cubes. Right. Yeah. He yeah. becomes many with the cube. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. yes. He just got squared away. Oh, <laughs> I love it. We What we see is we start to see like a great like a cubed grate, yeah. which got, has blood all over it, like fall down and then fold up and go back into the ceiling. Yeah, it's like a razor wire square trap thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think this opening is so cool Yeah, because you see like his body fall apart and you can see his organs and it probably was like half their budget. It is but, by like, far the coolest kill for sure. It yeah. really yeah. is. And it immediately sets the tone of the movie. Yeah, it says what the stakes are for sure. So now we are at title cards. And Todd, I'm interested to hear your take on the opening credits to this movie because there are none. Yeah, I was already in the action. Like, it was great. This is the, exactly mm-hmm. how you should do it. This is 97. Good credits. I mean, we've yeah. made this point time and time again. Yeah, get right to it. And we've already it. had a cold open, too. So if we had to stop here and wait through some bullshit 90s Creed song... Then we it would have kept us from the action too. Can yeah. you cube me harder? Oh. In the blue room now. Natalie just came out of the bedroom like, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> Jen, are you shit talking Scream? I'm shit talking Scream three, and I love Scream three. <laughs> Every that Scream Creed has song. a Creed song in it. I don't know what you're talking. I know, about. and I love it. Scream had some good soundtracks, but this was when that was happening. Is yes, why I said absolutely. That. Yeah. Okay. So we see someone else laying on the floor of a cube. And I love how this kind of folds out too, because we've got who we're going to find out is worth laying on the floor yeah. of another cube. And then we see a bloody hand kind of creeping up through the door in the floor, yeah. which I thought was really cool. And so we pull up and we find, and there's another guy in there and that's going to be Quentin. Okay. So I didn't know any of their names till much, much later. So like worth, yes. I saw worth on his shirt. So I called him Worth the whole time, but yeah. the cop guy I called Copper the whole time. I have no idea what his Copper. real name is. Yeah, I just <laughs> call him Cop Guy. Yeah, yeah. His name is Quentin, okay, and I so know those names okay. for specific reasons. Okay, so and then we see another woman come through like the door in the ceiling. Yeah, it's pretty and much like the whole cast comes into this dude's cube who was just minding his own business. But they're like partying in this cube, apparently. They're just hanging out. Mm-hmm. I would be the worst person to be stuck in this cube with because I would have showed up on this group of people and I'd been like, oh, man, it's cold in this cube. What is this, ice cube? 
oh wow and they'd be like oh how many kids do you have because um, <laughs> you got dad jokes on lock yeah that's how they found out about your personality um, so, so then we have in the new woman we're gonna find out the blonde woman yeah her name is holloway Yes, and she's a doctor, right? She is a doctor, and yeah, we, yeah. They and sort of introduce themselves in these scenes too, right? So we, I think we know yes. she's a doctor pretty much right out of the gate, right? Well, Worth, Worth has hit his head, so she goes, I'm a doctor, I'll help you with your That's head. what it is, yeah, right. that's how we find uh-huh. out, yeah. And then we hear somebody in another, in the orange room asking for help, and that is going to be Levin. Right, and that's the mathematician girl, right? Yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. and so she's in the orange room, and I don't know if they know there are traps now, although I guess uh, Quentin had blood on his hands, so he knows, but he tells her, to freeze and then she drops her grass glasses and they crack and it ultimately she ends up into the the white cube with them right quinn says there's traps and whatever and then she's like you say right me. and then she hugs yeah. quentin mm-hmm. quentin does say that there are booby traps and i immediately thought i think you mean qb traps <laughs> <laughs> wow mikey your head shaking right now is all the approval i need <laughs> also hello pot it's nice to meet you kettle <laughs> exactly all right and so then we've got one more character that we're about to find and because there's a character named ren not renez although it's spelled r-e-n-n-e-s but it's french and it's pronounced ren and he's using his boots to set the traps off <laughs> he's literally burning his boots up well he doesn't i he mean does. he's not intending to do that he's just checking yeah. to see if the next room over has a, a trap and it does and it, it, does. it lights his boot on fire and he pulls it back like the charred remains of his boot. And I found that very his funny for some boot reason. boot is on fire. And it was, yeah. yeah. But we come to okay, find so- out that he's like a like master escape artist. And he like escaped he from like a bunch of prisons or whatever. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, I think like not, they don't find that out for a couple, a little while later. But um, it's oh, like okay, seven, yeah. five or seven. He escaped Alcatraz or something. Yeah. Um, so he's basically Sean Connery from uh, The Rock. He's one of my favorites. <laughs> I was, I was going to say he's actually Samuel L. Jackson from Deep Blue Sea. Oh, yeah. But I've never yeah. seen Deep Blue Sea. I just know the joke. He's got a deep blue sea moment i mean I know, there's, there's saying, yeah. some hubris and in there it's yeah. so funny that i have not seen that movie but i know <laughs> i know that scene already yeah so we've got our cast of five people right now um we've got quentin we've got worth mm-hmm. we've got holloway we've got levin and we've got ren yeah and so nobody remembers how they got there they're talking about like going to the fridge to get pierogies and i think this movie is what i how i found out what a pierogi was jen i obviously know what it is <laughs> <laughs> but what is a pierogi? Because I honestly have no idea. It's a Russian. It's a Russian uh, kind of pasta dish with potatoes. Oh, is it? With stuff inside of it. Russian ravioli. That sounds really good. I obviously knew what it was as well, but thank you, Mikey, for helping me clarify. <laughs> I needed to mansplain you. It's actually, it's just food splaining, and I just really like food. Yeah. I mean, listen, if you're going to make some, I'm coming over. I will it break quarantine delicious. for a pierogues. But it's one of those dialogue things where she just starts yelling pierogies, and I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? But then, so none of them remember, and Holloway thinks it's like a government thing, or maybe aliens, and everyone's saying, no, you're being... It's too, this is you're too much of a conspiracy theorist and it's just right. but everybody's kind of freaking out. I mean, I would freak out, too, if I passed out and woke up in a cube. I would, too. Is this what they're talking about? The military industrial complex? Not yet. 
Oh. I mean, no, Mikey, clearly that happens when they're in the other part of the cube. <laughs> <laughs> clearly. <laughs> this is the very definition of a single location movie. Yes. yes. This is a single is. cube movie. Like they they never leave that one cube they built for this movie. But one thing that drove me crazy was I was wondering how long the boot laces were because when the old man throws his boot into the other room, it lands like in the middle, but he's still holding uh-huh. on the laces. Like I've never seen laces that were 38 feet long that you could do something like that with it's part of the cube yeah i guess cube laces yeah (laughs) um well in fun fact when i was writing this stuff down i couldn't remember the word blowtorch so i wrote so many different like descriptions of what this blowtorch thing was i was like little blue light fire things or like fire shooters (laughs) or like lasers and then i was like oh fuck oh yeah they're you could have just put (laughs) flamethrowers but they're not (laughs) flamethrowers that is amazing I mean, Mini flame they are. I mean, I guess if they do throw flame. Um, okay, but so. <laughs> That's the most insane thing I've heard today. What? And Jen, I will remind you that we're on a Skype call with Mikey. <laughs> That's true. I know. I do feel a little flame shamed. Flame shame. <laughs> <laughs> but I almost even wrote in, okay, fuck flamethrowers. That's right. Into my notes. Anyway. Oh, wow. Okay. Who else got in trouble by telling their younger siblings that the blue flame was cold? You're a monster. That is insane. <laughs> wow. Holy shit. No one laughs. There's just dead silence. No. Go, You're a it monster. It was stunned to silence, Mikey. <laughs> that is insanity. Okay. Ooh. Guys, don't do that. Guys, the blue flame is cold. Don't Google it. Okay. So Levin is starting to freak out. And this is when we find out that Quentin is a cop because he basically does the 90s version of the airplane scene where he goes up to her and he's and like, sort of shakes down. her shoulders. He does everything but slap her in the face, more or less. He right. saves that for the doctor later. But yeah, I don't yes. know. He's not showing himself to be a bad guy. He's showing himself to right. like, try and like take in charge in the situation and stuff like that. He's an assertive mm-hmm. guy. Yes, yes, that's fair. Which and I will say point, is not always fine. bad. It does right. eventually right. become bad because of his nature. But yeah, he doesn't really become right. bad till later on. That's what I mean. Yeah, I think right mm-hmm. now he's being a good guy. He's just being like, hey, we're going to figure this out. We're going to get exactly. there. We're going to get out of here, right? And that's great. Yeah. All that's great. It's when he starts to lose his shit that it becomes a problem. All right. So now we get a throwing boots into cubes montage. Oh, my God. Yeah, there's so many weird montages and fade to black in this movie. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's so weird. And every fade to black is like it crescendo, the scene crescendos to something. And then it fades to mm-hmm. black and they're in a different cube and it's not like weird anymore. I hated that because I'm like, what? I didn't know how they de-escalated that situation and then started to move on to the next cube. Like, you can't just fade to black when they're like, ah, fuck you, buddy. Fade to black. And then, hey, I think we made it this new cube. Todd, <laughs> if you actually, if you read the book. What? Is there a book for this movie? Yeah, all those situations are de-escalated by a dick joke, but it didn't translate well to film. <laughs> yeah, it must have, it was French. It was a French book. It's, uh, Ren wrote it. Yeah, they killed that guy that kept making all the dick jokes. They were like, he hey. He says, look at my wee-wee. <laughs> my wee-wee. And they say, Holy hey, this shit. room's safe, I promise. You go first. <laughs> but this is also when... <laughs> this is also when... Levin starts to notice that there are numbers on the doors of these cubes. Yes. Yeah. And they're nine digit numbers in subsets of three. Now, yes. I will say that they should have noticed this shit pretty fucking early on. Like, it is pretty now. early on, though. I mean, they- you should have noticed it cube one because those numbers are everywhere. Well, I mean, yeah. In every transition from one cube to the other, th- those numbers are everywhere. Yeah. But 
but I mean, I can understand. They might just be freaked out and try not to die. Yeah, there's a lot going um, on. There's a lot to take in, yeah. We also start to hear different mechanical noises coming at kind of regular intervals. You know? Yeah, it's the Which, uh, the ventilation system, or they sort of explain it away. We sure. find out later what it is, but they sort of explain it away that right. way. No, said, is it like the that. ventilation system? They said, no, there's no ventilation system. They're like, yeah, burning up in here. Oh, right. yeah. I'm okay, really yeah. hot. Yeah. Yeah. And Holloway also kind of sets the stakes, too. She says, we've got about three days without food or water before right. we'll start to die. Yeah. So we now have a ticking cube clock. We do have a ticking yes, clock. Yes. Right, Mikey? Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right. <laughs> but she rubs it in by like explaining in a lot of detail what's going to happen when we all starve to death. Hey, that's fun. And this is when Ren tells her to suck on a button, which I have thought about oh, since I watched this movie. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Uh, because that like keeps your saliva flowing. So um, now we get to another door and we see that a boot didn't set the trap off. And this is when we find out that Ren is a bird of Attica, they say. And Quentin, I think, has heard about him just being involved in like crime or like um, crime <laughs> and criminal investigation. Yes, law enforcement, <laughs> not crime. I don't think a patrol person would know like some one random guy's broken out of a lot I don't, of prison. I don't know. I mean, if, if he was like famous, famous, I could sort yeah. of see. That, like if there, were, if there were like news articles written about him, I could yeah. sort of see that. But if this was made today, Levin would be like, "Oh, I heard about him on a true crime podcast. He keeps yes. breaking out yeah, of jail." Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this yeah. day there would be like one murder, you know, in there too. <laughs> oh, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> this is his deep blue sea moment. Um, yes, I loved it. And I think even the cube is blue. And I can't remember when it Deep is. Blue Sea came out. I think it was after this. It was um, definitely way, after it's this. It's way after this. Because he's like telling them, he's like, I've escaped these many prisons. You just got to keep your head down. You got to keep moving forward. Don't focus on the uh-huh. big picture. Focus on sort of what's going on in this room right now. And we'll get through it. And he's like, mm-hmm. I'm going to lead you. He doesn't say this, but like, that's his vibe. He's like, I'll, I'll get you guys out as long as you stay with me. But you got to keep moving with me or I'm going to leave you. And then he jumps right. into that cube. And then he says shit in French, which is mad. And then he gets an acid facial. But you see it coming, you know, as he's given all that shit. We do see it spraying. You're right, Jen. We definitely see it spraying. I would have used different nomenclature, but if that's what you're comfortable with, Jen, we can say we definitely do see the acid coming on his face. But that's your words, Jen. Those are your words. We see what happens when you get it on your face. Yeah, listen. Not even tell him it was coming, so it's real bad. Oh, yeah, it's real rude. You've got to get consent. For any kind of facials like that. Yeah, you've got to get consent. And it's the arrogance that gets him. So, yeah, don't walk some in might, like you're hot Some shit. might call it hubris. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I get it. He was it. like, yeah. I can handle this cube too. And listen, guys, this is a rookie mistake. <laughs> you got to pay attention to what's in front of you. It's like when you're holding a gun. You never look down the barrel because that thing can go off at any time. Right, Jen? <laughs> It, I mean, it's unfortunately it is true. You don't know how excited that cube is. It, it just, it's, it's hit or miss. That's you why, never that's know. why Ren yeah. should have kept more eye contact. Sometimes you can tell by the color that the cube is. You know? Oh my god! Oh. All oh right, god. so Ren gets shot in the face. And- <laughs> I love you guys. Jesus, Jim, you're sabotaging the podcast. Oh my god. But it's not just an annoyance that you have to clean up now. Now it's starting to melt into his face. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that shit so- sticks to everything. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> I love when you laugh so hard it makes you cough. Like, I, that happens to me, too. <laughs> holy shit. So, anyway, they pull Wrens back into the room. And they're like, holy they shit, do. you smell like bleach. Ooh, and a little bit of, like, milky, like, 
disinfectant. Yeah. <laughs> it depends on what you eat, though, you know. That's and they've true. been eating buttons, so. Well. You know. Yeah, okay, so he pulls his face up, and there, it it's like, you, we see his face, and it's bloody all over. Oh, so they pull yeah. him in. And it's smoky. And it's like smoky, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and so it's acid that's eating through his face. And so what we end up with is he's just laying on his back, and it's like, he doesn't have a face anymore. It's just this sunken in mass of like bubbly pus. It's yeah. really it's gross. It's very, very gross. Yeah. So our party of five is now down to a party of four. <gasps> so um, they're saying like it's time to reassess because the trap didn't, the boot didn't set that trap off. Right. Yeah. So now the boot system we know is not um, infallible. Right. Okay. Um, and so Holloway is kind of trying to work through what's going on and she's trying to figure out if they're being punished. And this is when Quentin is kind of talking about what Ren was just talking about. Like, you can't see the bigger picture, so stop trying. We just need to focus on what's in front of us. And that's right. going to come back later, which is, I kind of think, an interesting theme in this movie. Um, but he's saying, look, we just need to focus on what we're doing right now, which when you're in a crisis, that's true. And this is yep. when I do think he's being effective. Yeah, you know? I think I think that is a, a very good point. Okay, so now they're just... We're learning more about Levin and we find out she's a student and she's just kind of bored and they're asking what Worth does because I think they're starting to think, is this a social experiment? Did we get one doctor and one cop and one like did we get people yeah. who have expertise? Like in why something- isn't us in here? Did they put us in here for a reason? Right. Or is this random? Right. And they're literally talking about like what is your purpose? What is your purpose? What is your purpose? Mm-hmm. And we do find out Le- Levin's in college because she's like a math whiz and she's studying math. Yeah. Um, we mm. already knew the copper was a cop. We already knew the doctor was a doctor. And the the thing that I do not really like about this is the, like, what's your motivation? Like, what is it that keeps you going? And right. not that I don't like that. I just don't think it's done well here. I think it's a yeah. little cheesy. You know, I he's like, well, I got well three kids. At all. Yeah. And that's what I think. That's yeah. why I think the dialogue is not great. Like, the writing is not great, especially at moments right. like this. But it, mm. it doesn't ruin it for me. It just feels like it's a student film, right? It just brings right. the quality down a little bit. But I still like the themes they're playing on. But aren't they also talking about in this scene that like it took all of their jewelry and stuff like that? Except Levin got to keep her glasses. Yes, but she Levin did. did get to keep her glasses, and they ha- they really seize on that as like, well, this must mean something. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But did you notice Holloway was sad or Holloway was sad because they took her amethyst? Yes. And I was like, oh, uh. she's kind of a more spiritual. Which if, if that's something you you're into that's great you know sure i think and we've talked a little bit about that but i do think that kind of plays into a little bit of her personality and that she is very like distrusting and like looking for alternative yeah she is the conspiracy theorist right yeah she's like Mm -hmm. a free clinic doctor too she's not like a bougie doctor i think they throw that at her as an insult yeah no 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 no. she says it too Oh, okay. I he didn't throws she it back it. in her face later I got gotcha. you. Okay. So now is when we realize that the numbers on each of the cubes are prime numbers. And or or if there is a prime number that the room has a trap in it. Prime number means trap. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So that becomes the new boot. It does. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. This is where I would die because I'm like, mm, math. Oh, no. <laughs> Dude, I think that's where yeah. most people would die. Like, those are big numbers. It's I don't know what primes are. If I had my smartphone, I'd be fine. Like, if I had my iPhone. Yeah. I'd be fine because I would Google it. But like we don't have, you know, they don't have access to any of that. 
Yeah, a prime like I can do prime, but that's the limit. Like I would not be able to extend past that. And I also don't think I would trust myself enough to be able to figure out if it actually is a prime number, you know. Exactly. Right. That's what um, I'm saying. Yeah, there's no way you could find it out. I would ha- I would have yeah. to bring Optimus Prime in there to help me. Like there's no way I can <laughs> there's no way I can do that. You know? But I like how she says like I have a facility for remembering numbers. So she just says this is just a skill that I have and and I just like the way she phrases that. It um, that's and then, the phrasing of that felt weird to me. Like so like I didn't love the way she phrased it because it felt like oh, yeah? no one would ever say it that way but that's fine <laughs> I, yeah because she would just be like i'm a math student yeah like i'm good with numbers yeah well and then quentin gets in her face and does that thing where a guy grabs your face and that it always just is so right gross. right before they kiss you passionately and deeply and he's looking and he's like that big beautiful brain i love it and it, that's when i started to not like quentin yeah, well, because he has inappropriate like boundaries. Yes, mm-hmm. specifically with Nicole. Yeah, he just met this woman minutes ago, and he's like in her face. Mm-hmm. It's very uncomfortable. Her- She's a very petite person in general, and he's very large. He's just very imposing. And I called her Nicole a minute ago because the actress's name is Nicole DeBoer or DeBoer. Um, so oh, okay. if I call her Nicole, I'm talking about Levin. Yeah, um, Levin. I just kept it's the mathematician. That. Yeah. So um, now we get our prime number montage. Yes. And these, um, some and, of these montages are weird. Like they have weird voiceover yes. and it's very strange. It's very, very uh-huh. strange. This one was weird because this is when we get her voiceover saying if we get home in time for dinner and then he's saying there's like talking about taking them out to dinner or well, if we get out in time, I'll make you dinner. Yeah. It's, it's just, just the cop weird. being very, very creepy with um, the mathematician girl. Levin. Yeah. Uh, Levin. Was, and she, also this whole scene was weird because I'm like, guys, if you've been put into a giant cube prison, like you're probably not going to get dinner home for dinner right that's real dumb but whatever yeah but at this point she does not seem to feel uncomfortable with it and she's kind of like playing along with it i sort of got the vibe that she was just like i don't know doing that thing that women do sometimes where they're they Uh they realize that they like couldn't force this person to do anything so they're Uh sort of playing along because he hasn't super crossed the line yet although he sort of is playing with the line Uh and i've seen that happen like at work and shit like that Mm -hmm. where a guy says something that's like super on the line and the girl's just like ha 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 Uh Uh-huh, because what are you going to do? Exactly, yeah. It's just a shitty situation. It really is, which is the point. Don't hit on people like that because you don't know if they're playing along because they're trying to manipulate you and keep you away from them. Like, just... Just be cool and treat them like human beings, you know. We're sort of meeting the cast of characters that are still left, the four of them yes. that haven't died, right? So, and mm-hmm. the doctor's talking about how she's jonesing for a smoke, even though she hasn't smoked uh-huh. in years. And we find out yeah. that Copper's divorced, and he sort of insinuates that his wife is dead in a really douchebaggy sort of way. Uh-huh. And he's like, no, she's not dead. We're just separated or whatever. Yep. Right. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. It's just really, I, I don't know. I never really liked the Copper very much in this movie. I didn't no, either. I don't either. But this is where he, American Ninja War, his way up to the top right and he, he opens it and mm-hmm. that's when we meet kazan right who is i'm gonna say autism that, that i would he say has? he has autism spectrum disorder yeah he's definitely on the spectrum of autism yeah we find out yes. later he's like a math savant he's like um uh, uh-huh. it's like rain man it is like Rain Man, yeah. His self-soothing behaviors of his like flapping his hands and making repetitive noises is very right. indicative of autism spectrum. Yeah, disorder. it's called stemming. That's those little hand things um, and the noises that he makes. And I've had quite a few students who have had behaviors like that. The thing, and so let's 
let's just talk about him for just a minute because I think like when we were talking about Quentin, I think in 1997, this probably was kind of maybe more of a progressive choice to have a character like this as part as a central part of the movie. And it wasn't something that we were seeing very often, but I think because it's now like what, 20 years later, we just know so much more about autism and know that this, it's really leaning into what will become stereotypes in a lot of ways specifically like that this character who's on the autism spectrum has this like genius in him which is a stereotype like it almost makes him like a magical character yeah yeah. super super rare right yeah that is not something that all character or all kids with autism have and the one thing that you'll find with kids with autism is that it manifests differently in every single person so there isn't really a typical type of autism and if the spectrum were bigger we would all be on it and ironically his character like the big thing about autism is that they don't read social cues or emotional cues very well and ironically, mm-hmm. his character in this movie actually reads social cues really well. Yeah. Yes, which he does. is like mm-hmm. not an autistic quality. But one thing they do, I think, do well here is I think they do show stimming and it's a stereotype of stimming, yeah. Yeah. but also mm-hmm. the noise out, the noise factor of like trying to cover a sound with your own sound, which is something like I relate to, too. It's somebody who's real noise sensitive. Um, and I have had taught several kids who did the had those kinds of behaviors. But the problem is that's not what all kids on the autism spectrum look like. And so this is right. more of a stereotype than I think than I think we would make today. You know? So as they're talking about these like theories about like why they're in the cube and this is after they meet Kazan. Right. Uh, uh-huh. This is where the doctor swallows her button. Right. This is when she's talking about this must be a military industrial complex. Right. Because they're the only ones who could afford to build something like this. Yeah. And Quentin's like, oh, I am the military industrial complex and it's nothing like this. Yeah. And I was like, I think this would have been a better time to have the let's keep our heads away from the big picture right now because right. Yes, right. someone built this, but it doesn't help us right now to know who. Exactly. But his the pressure starting to get to him. And so that's st- that level mm-hmm. head is starting to slip away a little I, bit. I did um, think it was interesting, his take on it. The fact that there really isn't some evil arm at the top. It's just a bunch of people who don't know what the fuck they're doing, just sort of trying to do what they think they're supposed to do every day. And that leads to this horrible thing. There's, it's not like the... Uh, you know, dark hand that controls everything that the doctor exactly. thinks it is. It's just a bunch of inept men not knowing what to do. That's a good yeah. description of bureaucracy. Yeah, yeah. And that's I, I liked it because it shows sort of the both sides of it, you know. And yeah. I don't necessarily yeah. think one is right and one is wrong. I think it's maybe a mix of the both, uh, but it was interesting. I, I, after the torture program and other bad stuff the government's pulled off, I mean, I wouldn't put it past them. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. Okay, so if we're going to talk about what we actually believe here, I think that it's more of... It's just a bunch of people in a bunch of jobs, not really knowing what everyone else is doing. And then some of those people Mm -hmm. on those, some of those jobs are evil people and they're just doing really Uh shitty things. But it's just that it's such a big bureaucratic situation. No, I think what's his face uh, worth. I mean, I think Mm -hmm. he's a piece of shit because he knew they were putting people in the cube. I didn't think about it much until today. And I was like, wait, he knew they were putting people in for months, but like now he's the good guy. Well, and I mean, I think he kind of has a transformation when he sees the effects of what he was doing, which is one that kind of plays into that is like, if you're the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing, like the left hand never has to see the effects of that. And so they can keep going about their business. And I think once he's, I think once he's actually in that situation and he sees what the effect that he has been doing is, then I think that's when he starts to kind of change his character a little. 
little knew bit. They're you putting know? people in. Like I think he's more of the Nazi than Quentin is. I'm not saying he's a good guy. I'm saying once he's actually the person, it's he, like he got put into a concentration camp, and he's like, you know what? These are probably bad. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what happened. I mean, I designed the fence, but like now that I'm in here, we probably shouldn't do this to people. And I'm like, but to me, that is too late. I'm not saying it's not too late. What I'm trying to say. You guys are agreeing. Exactly. (laughs) I'm saying that's when he has his transformation. And what pisses me off is, especially with what we're seeing right now, is it shouldn't fucking have to be you for you to care about other people. It shouldn't have to happen to your sister for you to care. And that's what pisses me off about worth. Although I do think that he is able to actually look at that and when i compare him to quentin i like worth better so i have a real life scenario this this happening to somebody the worst transformation happened to someone i'm friends with on facebook because when this quarantine was going down they were talking about how it was a government conspiracy and they're Mm -hmm. just trying to do whatever and it's dumb and then one of his grandparents died and now he's like saying how it's a horrible thing and it's like he thought it was a whole government conspiracy until it impacted him and then it became important to him that people actually do what the people in the medical community Community are telling people to do so like that's right that's a common problem we deal with in this country which is one of the reasons i mm-hmm. like this movie yeah. empathy is so important and this is yes. why people need empathy it needs to be taught empathy and it needs to be a quality that is valued in our society uh-huh and not feminized right dude i mean i thought a lot of wrong things till i started teaching and saw like outside of my own little world okay so now this is when she starts choking on her button and- so they're taking turns also going to the rooms right so yes the mm-hmm. mathematician Levin yes. is checking the numbers on the next room and she says there are no primes it should be safe and so the mm-hmm. doctor it's her turn to jump into the room just to make sure so she jumps uh-huh. in and she starts to choke and they're like oh my god is it gas or whatever and she's like mm-hmm. <laughs> no no I just swallowed my button and I was like what is happening right now this yeah. is Holloway's fault because she doesn't actually use the universal sign for choking no she doesn't they can't see her either no, they so, were looking through. I mean, they're looking through the, the cubby hole thing yeah, also looking through here's, the thing. here's the one thing that annoys me about this movie the most no one like opens the door like waves their arm through the cube marine door they jump in full fucking fledge every oh, time yeah. no, I, would like, the wall. I would be like putting my hand through like okay let's just wave my hand a little bit Echo, like you know, like <laughs> no, they they all they dive in head first to every room. Yeah, they do absolutely. Or throw someone else in head yeah. first to every room. Oh my god, yeah. we'll get there, Jen. Okay, so we're also starting to see a little bit of um, we're starting to see Quentin be a dick. Yeah, Levin is starting to like get tired of having to figure out all these fucking prime numbers, and um, well, she's getting so- tired, man. Like. Yeah, I'm not she good is, at math. Yeah. I'd imagine that that would be very difficult to do hour yeah. after hour mm. after hour. Yeah. Quentin jumps into this one and he's starting to be an asshole. And yes. it is a trap. And it, but it's luckily for him, it's not an immediately lethal trap because it's, it's like a like spinning these... razor wire thing that like mm-hmm. it's they're across the entire floor and then it tightens yeah, it, it slowly collapses. Yeah. And he, has yeah, time yeah. To he sees it and, and dives out of it. Yeah. But it does cut his mm. leg. Yeah. It does. Yeah, yeah. And so they're back in the red room. But this is when they find out there's a flaw in their plan because that room didn't have any prime numbers and should have been safe based on the rules they thought they were operating under. That's right. Quentin is saying he doesn't trust Worth. So this is when the paranoia, I think, starts to get I trusted Worth right away because he was a single white dude who openly talked about his pornography (laughs) collection. Like, I was like, I know this guy. He's the co-host on the podcast with me. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, he just sits out. He's like, well, I'm ready to die. And I am yeah. single and I have pornography. <laughs> I love you, Mikey. Oh. <laughs> Speaking of uh, Mikey, Kazan has to pee. And <laughs> so they're going in the corner of the room and everybody's pissed off about it. And it's just like we're starting to see the tension, though. Yeah, this, um, this really bothered me, because if you're stuck in the cubes, you're going to have to go to the bathroom. Uh-huh. That could have been anybody. It just so happens it's the autistic person. I don't know if there's a better word for that. So sorry if, if I'm saying it wrong. I'm sorry. I would say person with autism, but I think that works, too. Yeah. So it's the person with autism who has has to go to the bathroom first, I guess. So, like, that's going to mm. happen to everybody. Just, just oh, be it is. cool about it. Like, why are you guys shaming anyone who has to go to the bathroom? That's so dumb. Okay, so Quentin is yelling at Worth, and he says he wants to go, he wants him to go help Holloway with yeah. Kazan. And I just wanted to point this out because he's saying your job is babysitting as a way to shame him, and caregiving should be valued much higher than it is in our society, and yeah. it's such a feminized thing. And so that just was a real clear um, depiction of that that I wanted to point out because yeah, I think I what we're seeing was. now mm-hmm. yeah we're seeing now like caregiving is like a very valuable thing yeah. but it's mostly women and we don't pay for it and we don't value it the way we should anyway. agree yeah yeah because the um, way he says it he basically says I don't remember the exact words he's like you're a woman so go take care of the the you know, yeah you know, go be Say a it, your job as a babysitter uh-huh. I, yeah. I literally mm-hmm. wrote in my notes at this point, the dialogue in this movie is terrible. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I yeah. think there are parts that I really like, and there's one part coming up that I do really like. But I think overall, yeah, a lot of it is not yeah. great. I, I see what they're trying to say. I don't think they found the, the best words to use. It's very 90s. It just doesn't age well, Mikey. I agree. Yeah. And I think when I look at the problems with this, that's a lot of what it was. It's yeah. just this was 1997. And when you look at other movies from 1997, like we see a lot of that, the same kinds of things, you know, people just didn't talk great back then. They didn't talk great. You're right, Mikey. No, <laughs> no good words. They didn't have good words back then. So now Quentin is mad at Worth because he's a nihilist and he keeps like saying like he's just very defeatist and he doesn't want to do anything. And he says, why don't you just lay down and die, which is die shadowing. Uh, <laughs> not like dice, not like dice shadowing. No, no, no. Yeah, We're yeah, not yeah. gambling. Yeah, it's like death yeah. shadowing. Is this when he opens the cube next door and he's like, go kill yourself and this cube don't you want to be a man uh-huh yeah. yeah and he said and this is the part that i thought was real cheesy he's like i don't want to die i'm just being realistic and then worth is sa- and it doesn't work i wish it did because worth finally like explodes in quotation marks and says there is no way out of here and that's when they all look at him and i wrote this acting is not great in my notes yep that yeah. is definitely yeah. something someone could think being in that cube i mean it is not a big revelation Exactly. He's like, kill yourself, be a man. And like, Worth's big explosion was like, yeah, Quinn, well, you're a dick and there's no way out. And everybody's like, <gasps> right. This is where they find out that he actually made the outer shell, right? He did, yeah. yeah. And I like that they did that, that they involved him, but not enough for him to know what the fuck was going on, you yeah. know? Because he designed the outer shell of this. All he knew was that he needed to make a big box. And I like how, this is the part that I do really like. And I was interested to hear what you thought of this, Todd. So he's saying, like, he didn't know who hired him. He didn't ask. Like, he just needed, yeah. he wanted the money. Um, he didn't ever even leave his office. And he said, nobody cared. This was just a contract that we got. Yeah, you know? it was the best job I ever had. Yeah, because all he did, 
did was draw a square. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's literally the simplest design I've ever seen. I mean, he engineered a, a huge square, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, he didn't just like right. get paid a hundred thousand dollars to draw a rectangle on a box and hand it in. Like he uh-huh. had to engineer it. I mean, that's kind of what it seems like. <laughs> I mean, I, I would say that if you're an engineer and someone comes to you and says, I just need you to build a big square. That's an easy right. job. You know, that's probably why I <laughs> exactly. said this is the easiest job he ever had, but he still has to make sure it can like fit everything and whatever. Yeah. Well, and he is a white man. So of course he got an easy job and got paid a bunch of money for it. <laughs> like now Holloway is, or Holloway is talking about how like the, it's like this assembly line thing. And that's how you make these like big death machines is somebody makes one part and somebody else makes one part. And then you find out that you've been part of this bigger system that is like evil yeah. that you didn't know because you didn't ask you mean like the but patriarchy what, yes exactly <laughs> yes. like the now patriarchy. you're talking her language mikey mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah it's like these tiny little things and they come together to form like big oppression but it's easy for you to say no i didn't have a part in this i was just following orders or i was just doing what i was told you know yeah. the thing that i really like now is what worth is saying he's like there is no conspiracy there's no one in charge yep. like the illusion of a master plan like big brother is not watching you this is just random and this is like a real kind of kafka-esque element to this and like really nihilistic that i really dig i don't know if this is what i believe but i, I yeah i think am, it's a cool really concept but it. i'm with eugene mm-hmm. i don't believe it because like they had to kidnap these people which is a lot more coordination than just like building a box like i mean i definitely think there's coordination but i think what he's saying is there's no grand plan at the head of this this is yeah. something that got set in motion and it just kept going because nobody questioned and when i was thinking about it i was thinking about religion because there's one point when he says you have to use it or you have to admit that it's pointless yeah and so it's like to keep yourself from having to answer those terrible questions that would make you feel like a bad person you just have to keep this machine moving. And I thought that was really interesting. You know, I do like that allegory because I feel like that's very today what we're dealing mm-hmm. with on some level. People who are just digging themselves deeper and deeper and deeper into a hole because of one choice they made three years ago to vote for somebody. Uh-huh. And now they're literally just like, no, you should definitely in- inject disinfectants. Exactly. Because it's easier than admitting yeah. they were wrong. Yeah, yeah. Like marrying the wrong person. It's called the sunk cost fallacy. And it literally mm. is a problem. And it, it actually is a part of cult deprogramming. Like really? you have to overcome what is called the sunk cost fallacy because people commit so much of their money or their time or whatever, sweat equity, if you will, into something. Mm-hmm. And then they feel like if they if it's all been for nothing, then their life has been for nothing. And that's very hard for someone to face. Right. The more emotionally right. invested you are in a decision, the more you're going to defend it, even when there's logically things saying that this was a bad decision. But there is so much power on the other side of that. Like there is so much power mm-hmm. on the side of none of it makes any, any difference. Like it doesn't matter right. if I wasted so much time doing this because I didn't fail at anything. I learned something and now I'm moving right. on. Oh, absolutely. So there, there right. is no reason for the sunk cost fallacy to be an issue, but it is an issue because there is so much power in looking at it differently. Yeah. And there's a lot of grace on the other side, too. Like, people are going to forgive you because people want to. You know, they want you to, like, become a better member of society. But it's it's everywhere. And then the people in your decision don't want you to change. So it's like, it's politics, it's religion, it's career, it's relationships, it's friendships. It's it's everywhere. It's mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. just, you know, people who voted for Trump or people who voted for Clinton or whatever. Right. It's right. people who are Christian or Muslim or whatever religion it is or people who sort of warp those messages into like cult things and it becomes right. like a horrible thing. Like if you watch Koresh on Netflix, you you really see that in these people who like just went to this Bible study that they, they were like, oh, I like 
Christianity. I'm just going to go to this Bible study. And then three years later, they were like marrying their kids off to this guy who was uh-huh. like in his thirties. And now he's marrying their 12 year old daughter. So like there's, it's just an insane like stepladder down. It's so it's not just like all religions or all government or all right. political parties. It's no, but like, it, can, it can be in anything. Like you can be yeah. unhappy with your job and you can just be absolutely miserable. And you're like, you'll go home and your spouse is like, just get a new job. And he's like, I've worked so hard at moving up in this company. And it's like, but it's for no reason. You don't have to do that. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But it's hard to see that and it's hard right. to take the first steps out. Yeah. yeah. And we're also saying like there's nothing wrong with politics or religion. No. It's how you interpret that and how you use it to like uh, interact with other people. In all of those things, politics, religion, whatever, there are people who use it for great, great things. And there are people yep. who use it for horrible, horrible things. And it's just, <sighs> you know, a matter of spectrum. You know, everyone's on yeah. the spectrum well, somewhere. It's, it's, it's relationships too. Like you go out with your friends yeah, and like, absolutely. don't ever talk to them again. And they're like, but I really care. And I've like tried really hard yeah. for so much effort. Mikey, don't yeah. ever talk to them again. <laughs> but well, I understand the well, sunken the cost that, fallacy. It's like, but they cheated. Should I leave them? And then everybody's like, yes, definitely. But but I've been with him for three years. But he has all my CDs, Mikey. They're alphabetized. <laughs> yeah. But like to tie it to tie it back to this movie, I think what we're starting to see is we're starting to see like the seeds of all of this become oppressive to the other people. Whereas before, I think they were functioning well because everybody was kind of staying in their lane. And like like the thing that keeps coming up to me is like my rights are I I can choose my own rights as long as they don't bump into the rights of other people. You know. You know? right. And so this is, I think, the point in the movie where we start to see the shift. Yes, you know? agree. So there's still everybody's mad at everybody. Um, Levin says some dumb shit about feeling guilty for ruining the world. Um, yeah, well, and I, then I Quentin, didn't quite understand that. Why does she feel guilty for ruining the world? I wonder if that's kind of trying to make a comment on younger generations or okay. like it didn't work. Whatever they were trying to do there, that part didn't work. I just thought she was an anxious person. I don't know. <laughs> I think... I was like, oh, that sounds like a Jen thing. This is a Jen movie. It does I mean, sound like yeah. a Jen projection, yeah. But now Quentin starts beating the shit out of Worth, and yes. Levin stops him. And this is when I do start to kind of like her character. I think this is kind of where the shift happens, because she stops trying to um, like go along with Quentin. She stops him and says, we need him. He knows more about this than anybody else. Yeah. yeah, and she is she's still being a jerk to Kazan, but she's asking him, she's like, so what about this outer shell? Can you tell me? So they're talking about she's figuring out that it's changing coordinates. I think this is when she figures out that the three numbers that are in three separate numbers, right? So it's like mm-hmm. six, seven, five, five, four, nine, six, seven, eight, right? Those three yeah. numbers are actually coordinates within the cube, right? I don't right, think they yes. quite realize that the cubes are moving just yet. I don't think but so either. It yeah. does help them say, okay, if we're here and this cube means this thing, then we need to go over this many cubes and down or whatever to get out, right? Mm-hmm. And this is yes. insane to me because to do this, she has to do some like next level math where she has to write stuff down. So what right. she does is with her button, carve into metal the math equation. How strong uh-huh. is that button or how soft is that metal that that is at all possible? It is a plastic button that she is using to carve into metal. That drove me it's crazy. It's cube magic. Yeah. But so now they know, and because she and Worth have kind of compared notes, yes. they're going to try to get to the edge of the cube. Right. Um, but she gets to one and she says, these coordinates don't make sense. This box should be outside the cube. Um, and that's when they're distracted by the blue cube where a bunch of spikes shoot through it and that's sound activated. Yes. Which they luckily find out because the person with autism, when they open it has those verbal ticks, right? And so he does uh that. He does the sound and it 
lights up that room with traps. I mean, not lights it mm-hmm. up. You see the spikes come out, right? I like this right. part because they, they all take turns like making a noise to set it off. <laughs> I do too. Yeah. They're like, ooh, this is fun. Yeah. And it is kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. And then they're like, well, we'll just backtrack. And then the copper's like, uh-huh. no, fuck that. We're going to go through it because we don't have time. We're getting out of this thing. Uh-huh. Which I understand that they need to get out. So... I sort of mm-hmm. understood that, but that's a very, very high risk gamble. And to make it, it less is. of a risk, the cops like, well, we're going to leave him and we'll come back for him mm-hmm, uh, sure. about, about the person with autism, knowing that there's no way. And they do immediately call him out on that. Yeah. And I like that. Holloway's Me like too. that's because um, Levin's saying that, too. And Holloway's like, no, that's a lie. And you know it, you know, which I love. And she's just arguing for their humanity. And they're like, and she doesn't say if we leave him behind, the cube wins. But that's basically like what she's saying. Like we, we're we <laughs> yes. descending to the levels of humanity. Well, that yeah, we it's don't. like, do we need to murder a guy just because we don't want to backtrack for 20 minutes? Exactly. Yeah. Um, but so they decide to go through the blue cube. And I really liked this part. Also like that it doesn't last very long because I think it still stays tense. It's probably the most tense moment in the entire movie. Yeah. For me. The one thing I didn't like love is that the person with autism, like when he climbs down, he climbs on the opposite way. And then the doctor like goes and gets him like I would never do that. I would be outside the room being like. You know, not making sound, so it's hard to convey what I'm doing uh-huh. on a podcast. But like being like, hey, <laughs> like get waving over at him, here. Yeah. get over, yeah, right. like waving, trying to get him over here. But there's no way. And, and and listen, I think what she does is incredibly selfless and incredibly brave. I just don't think I would do that. He gets his pants stuck on the bottom door. Oh yeah. yes, oh, yeah. Man. So he's getting stuck, and so they've all made it through. And Kazan is, I think, Quentin's still there on the in the yeah. Yeah, Quentin Quentin's is the last, last to go. go. Yeah, yeah. And and like to what you're saying, Todd. Like I feel like that's we all would like to be say, oh yeah. I would definitely go back and save him. But like when you're in that life and death situation, yeah. like it looks very different than it does yeah. when you're sitting on I'm your couch watching I'm just honest about what I would do. Yeah. And right. I'm sure that there are mm-hmm. people who would do that. I'm just not sure I have it within me to do that. Right. But so, so Holloway and Kazan get back, they get through and now Quentin's got to go and he is almost to the end. Um, and then Kazan makes a little vocal tick and yeah. he like all of the spikes go and he's just able to jump in. So he's safe. I got really but excited he, because I thought we were going to see the last of Quentin, but we don't. He yeah. makes it through. And then he starts like beating the shit he, out of him. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. Which is not and, cool. Yeah. And Holloway's calling him a Nazi. And then he yells at her and starts like calling her a lesbian. And he's saying, I have to clean up after your bleeding heart every day. So two things that drove me crazy about this is when when Quentin is like punching them. The smallest girl stops the biggest man from being able to throw a punch just by simply grabbing his arm. And I was like, eh. I mean, if I, she had I, grabbed I, his arm mid punch, she would have been jerked along with that punch. Right. I think he just stopped when she touched. Oh, him. I think so, too, because there's yeah. no way she could have stopped him. Yeah. And then she says something to the effect of, have you guys been on glue your entire lives? Yes, Which I have to dialogue. assume that this actually takes place in an alternate reality where glue is an actual drug and not a ridiculous <laughs> thing to say in a movie. But in the 90s, right. people smelled glue. It happened. They no, thought but, it still was. The dialogue yeah. in this scene, Quentin's like, look, I know you don't have kids and you're probably all dried up down there, but uh, this is not your kid and shit like that. I was like, fuck. Yeah. 
Yeah, but, it's rough. So you guys were talking about how um, Levin stops him when he's hitting Worth, but like he smacks Holloway now. Um, oh, yeah. She goes, you beat your own children, yeah, too. Yeah, no wonder your wife left. And then Levin's like, hey, guys, um, you want to know what's on the other side of the door? And so then Worth opens it, and they see, now they notice that they're at the edge because yes. they see like a black, they just see blackness. And this part is really cool. I like how they hang out, and you see the edge of the cube, and you see the light coming through each of the like square submarine doors you know yeah so this is a part of the movie i don't like love love because they're genius ideas not maybe like look down and see how many like cubes we might have to go down before because like this in my mind we know we're at the edge okay cool let's stay as close Mm -hmm. to the edge as possible and then every 10 floors or so down we'll check and see how much closer we are to the bottom instead of doing something like that they say hey drop me out the window with our clothes rope that definitely will hold me (laughs) Uh, my eyes are more powerful from like uh, 10 feet down yeah it made no sense to me quentin wants to go and they're like no we send someone who's lighter yeah you're way too Mm -hmm. heavy so they send the doctor and then she can't even get all the way down to the next cube i would have let quentin go at this point since he's like making enemies of hell yeah i would have let quentin Mm. go and then let it go yeah, you mm-hmm. can have all my clothes as you fall to your death, you asshole. <laughs> but anyway, so she tries to like go down to the next level and she can't. So she tries to swing over to the shell, right? And she mm-hmm. can't. So on the third time she jumps, they almost drop her. Quentin does like do a nice, pretty selfless thing of trying to save her. Mm-hmm. And he like pulls her right. up and she kind of climbs up. And then he lets her die, just like drops uh-huh. her. Ugh. Yeah, I did. I like like this part kind of chilled me a little bit because when you see his face change and she realizes oh, that yeah. he's about to drop her, I was like, Shit, it is very sad. Yeah, and I really liked her, and I felt like of all of the characters, she's the most altruistic. You know, I, I but agree. I mean. I- Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Holloway, rest in peace. Um, and so Levin is saying, or no, Quentin is saying she just slipped. Um, and I think they're kind of like, they don't know, no, but I think they're like, uh, but. I mean, I feel like they know pretty immediately because it's literally like one or two cubes from now that they're like, you let her go. You dropped her on right. purpose. Like, I think that they uh-huh. know, but they're just not talking about it yet, you know, because yeah. he's still in the room with them and he just murdered somebody. And well, I think they might exactly. be a little scared of him too. I mean, He's yeah. definitely the biggest dude. He's killed someone very recently. So I would be a little scared too. But this is where they um, find out what Kazan's superpower is, for lack of a better term. This is, well, this is when they take their weird nap. Oh, that's right. <laughs> and you see Worth, he's like snuggling his boot. So Worth yes. is like, like laying there snuggling his boot. And I love that. He made that. a booty call. Oh, <laughs> my <laughs> God. <laughs> That is amazing. He just doesn't want to admit defeat. (laughs) You really shoehorned that one in there, Mikey. (laughs) Quit stomping on the outline, guys. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. How many other feet jokes can we think of? Oh, my God. Um, A lot. Because this is the most bizarre nap ever. And it's like somebody was trying to recreate, like, the Jimi Hendrix experience, except all they had was cameras and they didn't have any drugs, you know? Yes. Because it's so swirly and, like, psychedelic-y. And it's really just them taking the camera and, like, turning it from side to side. Like, it looks so weird. And there's this weird 90s nap music. And boot cuddling. It's just bizarre. So, yeah, but coming out of that weird acid trip of a montage, you see Quentin, I guess, the cop, waking up the mathematician, Levin, and, like, going into the next cube over, and he's like, we're just going to leave him. It's going to be me and you. And he's, like, really all over her and very, very inappropriate. No, he's like, I figured out the equation. It's man plus female. Yeah. He's like, I want to slip my key into your lock. 
Oh it's yeah, so he weird. is really, really handsy with Levin, who is clearly not on board at this point. Yep. And he even says, "Levin, it's time to go down." And I was like, "Oh my yes. god, did Mikey and me write this scene?" <laughs> like, <laughs> I thought that this too. Is I was like, she was like, "No, it's not time to go down at no. all." Mm-hmm. Because their plan is now to try to get to the bottom of the cube, and that's what yes. he means when he says "go down." But it's also he's right. very creepy. But then Worth gets there because they can all still get through these doors and attacks him from the back. And this is when they say, "We know you dropped Holloway," and so he hits Worth with the boot, and then he does this weird thing where he puts his hand on Levin's face, which I don't like, and he says, "You don't want the boot," and then he starts beating <laughs> Worth with his boot. And I thought like he was going to kill <laughs> Worth. That shit made me laugh. You don't want the boot. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, he, but Worth does get the boot beat out of him for sure. But so then he like throws Worth into the next cell. Yeah. Um, and he lands and then he just starts laughing like a crazy weirdo. And they all get in and they find out this is where Ren's body is. And yes. so they have gone in a gigantic circle. <laughs> so they, this is when they start figuring out the pieces of the puzzle. Oh, yeah. And Quentin's getting upset. And then Kazan like comes over and starts like rubbing his head and like trying to comfort him. They keep going, though. And now they get to the edge again. And Quentin gets mad and throws their last boot out because he's an idiot and an asshole. And Worth is saying, because they were still in that same room, and he's saying, no, we weren't on the edge before. We looked in all of these rooms. And this is when they realize that the rooms have been shifting and moving. So Levin is figuring out that these are coordinations, but they're also permutations. And that it's a list of all of the coordinates that the room passes through through and that she's only been thinking about it as one point on a map which is the starting position and so now that they know what the starting position is they should be able to find the exit so she's saying hey remember when we were in that room that's a coordinate of larger than 26 that's a bridge and so that was because we said it should be outside it's supposed to be outside and so if we can get to that then we should be able to get out and when everything is in a starting position we're going to unlock and then she does a little more scratch math but now she's starting to realize that these numbers are way too big for her to do in her head or with her little button. And this is when we find out that Kazan is Rain Man, which I did not really like. Up until this point, I literally kept expecting, especially while they were talking about like, what's the reason for the cube? What's our purpose for being here? I thought at some point we were going to like hear like a slow clap from behind them and then it would, mm. it would shift the perspective back to Kazam, who's now like talking in this weird British accent about like what Kaiser it all so means say kind of thing. Stuff. <laughs> yes, I literally oh, wrote, like, yeah, I literally wrote, is it, yeah, is it like a Saw meets Kaiser Soze type situation? And I'm glad it mm-hmm. wasn't. Don't get me wrong, but I thought for half the movie, that's what was going to happen. I don't know if this is any better. I like that he is able to help with this, but I do feel like it's a little ghost in the machine kind of thing. It's just like, I don't know if I have one problem with this movie, it's this. And so they're also realizing that they need to get back to this um, bridge cube before it resets again. So they're trying to get there and they figured out what the ticking clock time frame is. But so he's able to clear these rooms pretty quickly. Kazan needs to like do these numbers in his head. And Quentin keeps yelling at him and saying, do the numbers. It's clear, right? And trying to like force him to do this. And this is like what I see with people protesting the shit. It's like you can't yell at a virus and make the virus go away like you're 
your brute force is not going to solve this problem. You I'm have to sure try to. I'm wrong about that. I'm pretty sure you're yeah. wrong. Well, about that. Yeah. I mean, we're going to find out in about two weeks, I think. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> what I saw was like Quentin trying to solve this problem through force and everybody else trying to solve the problem by understanding what the problem actually is. And yeah. that's one of the things that I thought was so interesting and that is really timely right now is he's not trying to understand. He's just trying to force everything to go the way he right. thinks it should go. And it doesn't work for him because the way because that scares Kazan and he doesn't want to like he can't do the math under that kind of pressure. Right. And when Levin is talking to him or Worth is trying to like reason with him by like offering him gummy bears, that's when he's able to do what he needs to do. And Quinn's just an asshole. I don't like him. I think he might be the bad guy in this movie. I think you're right. The dialogue is a little hammy, but he is starting to look scary, too. And he is creeping me out in this movie. And so at this point, Worth agrees with me and tries to close one of the doors on his head. And choke him to death. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and tries oh, to get Kazan and Levin into the next room. Yeah, he tries to save the situation. Yeah, right. And so now they're in the blue room, and he his they dumps him into the like the door in the floor, and he hits his head. And so now it's just the three of them, and they're clearing rooms. And so they're hearing moving again, and they Levin and Worth get through a cube. Kazan doesn't go through into the into the last room, right? And then the cube. Yeah, because he doesn't like the color of the room. I think right, but the math petition and worth are in there and they're trying to get him out but the, the cubes start to shift so he now uh-huh. goes i think he's above them or something like that yeah mm-hmm. so they have to they have to go get him out of that room but i think is this do they find the room that they're supposed to be in the bridge room yes so they yeah. eventually mm-hmm. do get kazan into that room with them and i think this is when she steps on her glasses piece and she uh-huh. realizes that this is the room we started in. Yes. yes. And yeah. if we had just stayed here, we could have avoided everything. And right. that's one of the things I think is really cool about this movie because I think it introduces this like futility of doing all yeah. of this stuff, you know, yeah. as like, and, and that's something like there's not an answer to because I mean, what else were they going to do? And there's no way they could have known that. Yeah, but it's no just way. an, in, but it's an interesting element to it. Yeah, it's sort of like an allegory for death, sort of like no matter what uh-huh. you do, no one's going to get out of this alive. Right. But so you might as well go see all the colors of the cubes, you know? Sure. And so they're opening the door, but it's not a bridge. And she says, we just have to be patient. Then the room shifts again. This time when they open it, instead of seeing a black abyss of nothingness or what is probably just a black sheet, they see like light. Like it looks like it's sunlight. All right. T- time out. I hate this movie the most right now because yes. they open the door and then Worth <laughs> sits down. He's like, I have nothing to live for. I know. Worth kills himself I and he kills the it. mathematician here. I hate it so much because he's worked so hard for 90 minutes to get here. And then now that he's here, he's like, you know what? Fuck it. Life doesn't matter. I'm going to hang out in Uh the cube. Yeah. And then like she sits down next to him and then Kazam is like, let's get the fuck out of here. Yeah. Yeah. And if they had just gone out into the light, they would have been. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Now, I think the metaphor they're trying to make here is like he is afraid that he's going to be blamed for this. And if he does step out of this situation, he's going to have to deal with all the consequences of everything we were talking about earlier. And like, yes, I may, I'm going to have to face the reality of what I have done. Right. But the problem is they allow so much time when that door is just open and nobody's yeah. walking through it that it undercuts everything. I'm like, what the fuck? Also, we know it's going to shift again. So yeah. go. There was yeah. a finite like, amount of time for them to get out of this fucking cube. Yeah. And they're hanging out 
with this finite mm-hmm. time. Like it's, it could be three minutes, could be 30 seconds. It's driving me crazy. Here's the second part that drives me crazy in this scene is that you can obviously hear when these doors open because they're loud. Yeah, they mm-hmm. didn't hear Quentin sneaking up on them. They were trapped in their feelings. Oh, I mean, he oh. was—he had a lot of existential angst he had to work oh. through. Um, but Quentin does walk up behind the mathematician and stab her through the back, killing her. Mm-hmm. And then he stabs uh, Worth, and Kazam sneaks out, or you know, climbs out and gets out of there. Yeah. Right, right. And so Levin is dead. And but as Kazan is out and Worth is still in and Quentin is trying to get out. And I do actually like this part because they're both yeah. holding on to or he's trying to get out and Worth is pulling him back in. And then as the cube shifts, we're led to believe it cuts him in half. We don't see yes. it, but all we see is the red smear the across smear. the wall, yeah. which yeah. I thought that cool. was really cool. But yeah. they all three could have got out very easily if they didn't spend two minutes talking about existential uh-huh. angst. They had so much time that the three of them could have gotten out. There could have been like a 30 mm-hmm. second pause and then Quentin could have gotten out and then they could have had a fight. Right. I don't know, outside the mountain they're under or whatever this place is. Right. Um, but they don't. And so we see Worth lay down next to Levin's body and he yes. lays down and dies, as they had said earlier. Then Kazan walks out into the light. And, and that's, that's the movie. The movie. Yeah. Oh, credits. All right. So having seen the movie, having talked about the movie, how do you guys feel about it? I still love it. Yeah, I still really like it. I think it's really interesting. And like, there's a lot of subtle stuff, but there's also a lot of heavy handed stuff. As it, it's, as it mm-hmm. ages, I don't think it's aging super well. Yeah. yeah. It's one of those where there's so much that I like that it outweighs the flaws that I see. Because I mean, I'm not going to say this is a perfect movie. And like Mikey uh-uh. was saying, it, does, it has not aged well. And there are a lot of flaws. But what I like about it, I really, really like. I do, too. I, I really like it. I know there was like five sequels, but I think it'd be really good to have like a new, like modern cube. I can't believe I that. got some Man. fun facts. I'm interested to hear what you have to say, Jen, because the fact that they have sequels to this blows my mind because <laughs> I didn't like this movie when we when I first watched it. And having talked through it, I think I like it a little bit more thinking about it. But you really do mm. have to project shit on it to really like it, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think it welcomes that. I think it's written in such a way that it sort of wants you to do that, right? Yeah, I think so too. It's like a morality play in a cube, you know, which I'm not I'm not against. So I didn't I didn't hate it, I guess. It's just I don't know. If you skip this one, I don't blame you. I don't necessarily think you need to go back and watch it, but I do think they should remake this and they should have the same people do it. I, I feel like everyone that's gone on and continued acting, the guy who directed this, I'm sure is still directing the guy who wrote this, I'm sure is still writing. I feel like if they took another crack at it, it would be so much better because it, this feels like a student film. And I'm sure they're so much better now than they were 23 years ago when they did this. You know, I would watch a remake of this happily and just see wh- what they came up with. Cause I like some of the themes they're playing on here and would love to see it yeah. like really executed well. And I like how contained it is. And because that I think makes it a good projection movie because we say it's dated but that's the script and the characters really like there's no time or place reference for this you know and i love that we never see them outside the cube so this could be anywhere you know yeah all right well let's do some box office so what do you guys think the budget for this movie was pretty low a million dollars it is the definition of a single location movie it's a single cube movie mikey you think a million dollars jen what do you think i i'm gonna say a million too all right it was 
was $250,000. Wow. <laughs> Which nice. is one of the cheaper movies we've ever done. And I'll say having it be so cheap makes sense. I understand how they shot it for that. It looks like it's pretty cheap. But I think it's mm-hmm. pretty well for that low of a budget. I mean, that is like, uh-huh. I mean, there are shitloads of independent movies that you'll never hear of that cost more than this movie, right? Oh, yeah. Yep. All right. So mm-hmm. what do you think it made domestically just in the U.S. in its theatrical run? This is a Canadian movie. It is a Canadian movie. Yeah, yeah. I asked it that way on purpose because it is domestic in the U.S. Now, if yes. you ask someone from Canada, this is a Canada movie and domestic for them would be Canada. We'll come back to right. that. What do you think it made okay. in the U.S.? Ten million dollars. OK. Uh, I think one or two million. OK. It made fifty seven thousand dollars domestically. <laughs> when it came out its opening weekend it was 50th at the box office it came out the same weekend as rounders if you remember that movie with uh, oh, yeah. i had matt that damon. poster on my wall for so it's matt long damon, it's edward norton it's a pretty solid Blonde poker edward movie. Norton. yeah I, I think it's yeah. great uh, and that movie just for perspective made eight million dollars at the box office it's opening weekend but it was also up against movies like something Aunt mary blade saving private ryan simon birch there, there were a lot of big movies out at this time uh, but it was 50th. It came in right behind Titanic that had been in <gasps> theaters for 39 weeks. <laughs> now, I will say this about the domestic opening or the U.S., I should say, opening of this movie. It only opened in 16 theaters and had a $3,000 per theater average, which is honestly not that bad. So to put it in perspective, yeah. Titanic that beat it was still in 337 theaters. And it made an average of $170 per theater. It didn't do bad. It just didn't open in many theaters in the U.S. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So internationally, which would include its home country of Canada. And I hope I don't offend people by saying that. But it, like, it is a Canadian movie. Uh, but the way it breaks it down online is that that would be international. It made mm-hmm. almost eight and a half million dollars. So oh, it made man. almost nine million dollars total. It's total domestic box office run, not just its opening weekend. It made almost five hundred thousand dollars. So put that together. It made mm-hmm. almost nine million dollars. So on a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar budget, making nine million dollars is pretty awesome. Well, and like this has got a cult following now. Yes. Like we are in the middle of our listener request right now. And this was something that a lot of people suggested for the the our uh, quarantine horror or claustrophobic. And I mean, I had heard yes. about this through word of mouth and it's still like 20 something years later. It's still really well regarded in the horror community. All right, Jen, do you have some fun facts for us? I do have some fun facts. Hit it with your fun facts. Dun, dun, dun. All right. So um, this was written and Directed by Vincenzo Natale. Um, and he has continued to work. And um, he's a Canadian director. He directed Splice, which was in 2009. Oh my I've heard of that. <laughs> it's a weird movie. Um, oh, that movie is so... We've got to do that movie. so weirdly horny, you know? Ooh, I'm into it. What is this? Uh, yeah, you'll like it. He, it's, <laughs> it's interesting. Um, but he also directed In the Tall Grass, which just came out on Netflix. And oh, that is yeah. an adaptation. Oh, yeah, talking about that. Yeah, it's an adaptation of a Joe Hill and Stephen King story. Um I don't look really like that story very much because it's really, really dark and upsetting. And I did not like his version of it. Um, mm. But I mean, you know, if you liked it, I want to hear what you think. So this was inspired by a Twilight Zone episode, inspired in part by a Twilight episode called uh, Five Strangers in Search of an Exit. I haven't seen it, so I don't know a ton about that. But I think there's oh. also that that Jean-Paul Sartre story or the idea that hell is other people. 
because he wanted to write a film that was set entirely inside hell. Oh, interesting. But he had a super low budget. And so this was, I think, part of how he was problem solving. I think there's also, also like inspiration of like the Minotaur um, in the maze which I can't remember yeah. the fancy name of the maze right now. But so he had an early draft of this. So it originally had some like comedic elements. There was a cannibal in it. Um, like one of the characters was a cannibal. There was edible moss really? growing. On, yeah. On the oh, sides of the cubes. Yeah. And apparently there was a monster roaming around the cube at some point, which was hmm. kind of similar to the Minotaur. And one of the big edits that he made was um, he took out, any food or water well he took oh. out the monster but he also okay. took out uh-huh. food and water and i like that he made both of those changes because i like that there's just a natural time frame we yeah. said there's a ticking clock but that's because you're a human and your body will eventually stop working yeah um, and i like that he took out those external elements because it really lets the characters like bump up against each other and that's what i really like about the movie todd has been saying they did only build one cube and they built a half of a cube. So when you see them yeah. looking into another cube, they built the other half. Um, and so because each cube, and they only had one door that could support the weight of the actors. <laughs> because like they had to change all of the colors of these cubes. And I'm glad they did this. They could have just made it the same cube the whole time. But I think right. it's really effective when you see the different colors. Um, yeah. But they had they intended to have six colors, but they didn't have enough money. So they only had five colors. Um, and it took so long for them to switch out all of the panels of the colors that they shot the movie in order of the color scenes or the colors <laughs> that the scenes oh, of the wow. cube were okay. in. Yeah, isn't that crazy? That's super interesting. That's um, really yeah, that's crazy. very interesting. Well, and so the red cubes have the most dialogue, and so those were some of the ones that they did first. Um, and so the actor who played Worth, there's a scene where he's giving his big speech in the red room and it's happens later in the movie, but it was one of the first scenes he shot and he was kind of feeling pretty insecure about it. Um, and there's a moment at the end where he says, I feel better. And he was like, well, I wasn't really acting. I was just tired of having to memorize all of these long monologues. And so he got <laughs> a lot of that out of the way early, but I thought that was interesting. Apparently they didn't like working in the red room the most, or they, they disliked that one the most. And they liked working in the white room um the best and i think it's interesting like you can see through the movie the color kind of amps up the emotion that yeah, they're feeling yeah. you know yeah i think so so i think that was a really effective thing that they did um okay so this is a really cool fun fact that i really like a lot um so all of the names of the characters they are all named after different prisons oh no so, shit uh, okay yeah oh. and their characters are modeled after the type of prison that they're named after. So the guy at the the very beginning, his his name is Ren? Alderson. And we oh, know Alder- sorry, the sorry. guy who dies before the title card. Okay. He his never name has is any Alderson. Lot of dialogue. Yeah. Right, right. Well and his the prison he was named after is Alderson prison and I don't know where it is, but apparently it's known for having um isolation as punishment. Okay. So he and he exists in the story without ever seeing anyone else. So I think that's yeah. really interesting. Um, yeah, he gets, okay, he gets so torn to pieces about it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, Kazan is a prison in Russia, and it is. I'm. This is a problematic way it was phrased in what I was writing, but it was a prison for mentally ill people specifically. Uh, interesting. Okay, so that's why he's named that a special Ren, needs detention facility. Yes, there's a French prison called Rennes, and it pioneered a lot of the modern prison systems, and that's kind of 
what it's known for. Interesting. Okay. Quentin is named after San Quentin Prison, which is a lot of times known for being really brutal and a really mm-hmm. like hard yeah. place to live. Um, Holloway is a women's prison in England. And then we have Levin and Worth, which is Leavenworth yeah. Prison. Yeah. I wonder if that was the case. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, which is a federal prison. And so I think that's supposed to kind of show the like the rigid rules of like this mathematical um, language. And then it's also a federal. So it's kind of at a corporate level, which kind of plays into Worth's personality. So I thought that was a really interesting thing that they did. And it's the kind of thing where once you see it or once you know about it, it's like, oh, that's really cool. But you don't necessarily pick up on it as you're watching. Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, I didn't pick up on it until you said that. Um, Okay, so the sequels. Okay. (laughs) I can't believe there are sequels to this. Well, I've heard that they are terrible. They are. I've seen them. I've seen them all. (laughs) Oh, yeah. They're not good. Is it like Cube, Cube 2, the rubric? Hypercube, Cube (laughs) 4 to space. One One is like, yeah. Hypercube, yeah. Cube squared is the sequel. Oh, my God. Cube squared is the sequel. There's one with like a, there's a time travel element inside the cube, and that's Hypercube, I think. There's a prequel called Cube Zero, which sounds interesting, and it sounds kind of like the first purge. Like, I want to know how this cube was made, but those are the kinds of things where unless you do it really well, it's not that interesting, because the more you learn about your monster, it takes away the mystery. Um, Okay, so there's a sequel and a prequel there have been rumors of a reboot for a while i'd watch that i would too yeah lionsgate was apparently working on it in 2011 and i think there was going to be some kind of um artificial intelligence angle to it but i don't know but it got stuck in development hell that's a long time for it not to have been made so it probably won't get made at this point yeah and i'll link a couple of articles i found an article from 2016 and then i found one from 2020 talking about cube 3d or cube 3 which would be a new sequel and rather than a remake or reboot but i don't think that's really gone very far either but i'll link those articles So that's where we are with sequels and reboots. And those are my fun facts. But I think Todd has. I do. Yeah. Give it to us. I was saving this bonkers fun fact that I literally just fell into when I was looking at box office stuff. Okay. Like a cube whose door was open. (laughs) It was wide open, Jen. So I walked right through it. So here's a little bonus Todd fun fact. The guy who played Kazan, the actor who played Kazan, is a guy named Andrew Miller. So he acted and he wanted to write movies after this. And his first movie out that he wrote was the Dennis Rodman. Yes, that Dennis Rodman and Dane Cook vehicle, Simon Says. And yes, that's S-E-Z on the end. And that's where Dennis Rodman stars as a hip Interpol agent attempting to defeat the deadly plans of a crazed arm dealer. It currently has 2.5 stars out of 10 on IMDb and is one of the bigger box office flops of all time. Its budget was $10 million and its opening weekend it made $185,000. Oh my gosh. It did very, very bad. But I mean, it probably did as good as you would expect for a movie starring Dennis Rodman. He was also involved in the Tremors TV movie. Yes. And wrote on a show called Imaginary Bitches. Which wow. Okay. I'm curious about. That's very <laughs> I interesting. May have yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Right. Interesting. Well, well, thank you for your renegade fun fact, Todd. <laughs> <laughs> also, while you were giving us your fun facts, I did a little research. And I think when we were talking about how this movie feels like it's a student film, the director, when he mm-hmm. did this movie, he was 27. 
He was real young. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah, that sort young. of sort of yeah. makes sense as to how it looks and feels and sounds. I think you know, which is impressive yeah. for like you know your first movie to be still. So yeah, he well had known, two things before know? this, but they looked like they were like shorts, not full feature lengths. All right, let's do the scary scale. Hey, listeners, our scary scale is a scale we use to rank how scary we thought the movie was. It's not a ranking of the quality of the movie; it's how scared we were when we watched it. Our one example is Ghostbusters. Our ten example is Texas Chainsaw Massacre. All right, Todd, what you got? I'm gonna give it a two. All right. And honestly, after the first death that happens in the first 30 seconds of the movie, it's a one. But it's really that first death is kind of creepy and sort of not super mm -hmm. jump scary, but it's a little eerie. It's not really super scary. All right, Mikey. I'm going to give it a one. I'm dead inside. <laughs> I, mean, I didn't think it was scary. And I never thought we would actually watch this movie on this podcast because I thought it was more of a science fiction film. But I'm glad we did. I, I, I never mm -hmm. got scared of it, but it's, uh, you know, man is its own enemy or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to give it, I think I'm going to give it a two also. Okay. Kind of what you were saying, like there's that death, that just the grossness of that death at the beginning. Um, and then the character of Quentin really kind of creeps me out and just like yeah. knowing some really angry guys like that, it, that is kind of effective for me. I so, get yeah. that. All right, so this week you guys made me watch The Cube. What are you guys making me watch next week? Well, Todd, I've been taking it easy on you for a little while. Oh, yeah, are we about to do a scary one? We're doing Paranormal Activity 2. Oh, no! <laughs> That's Which no I good. think is scarier than the first one. What? Yes, oh, but shit. it's a nicer house, though. Uh, <laughs> it is a nicer house. plans are very important in the Paranormal Activity universe. <laughs> they are. Oh, mm. my God. Okay, so I guess watch Paranormal Activity 2 for next week, guys. Sorry, Todd. You're welcome, everyone else. All right, now it's time for Mikey to read another five-star review. So, Mikey, while you're pulling up a review, let me explain to them how they can get their review read on the podcast. And that is simply by leaving a five-star review <laughs> on Apple iTunes. Super easy. Just do it. Get it done, babies. So all you have to do is go to Apple iTunes and leave a five-star review and give it you know, give Mikey something to, you know, have a little fun with, like an accent, maybe some emoji love, stuff like that. But Mikey, did you find one? Oh, uh, yeah. There's, oh, man, we've got a lot of good ones. Yeah. Here's one from Lady Time Lord. <laughs> I, I, I would off, like to be a Lady Time Lord yeah, one day. So I was please about to let say, me know how you got I love there. that name, she, Lady Time Lord. She, she says, Is love too strong a word? Question mark. No, I think it fits. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I stumbled upon this podcast when I was looking for something with good conversation great humor Aww. and awesome content mm. and i was absolutely blown away Aww. i downloaded every episode available and started from the beginning and i fell in love that's awesome it's my Aww. favorite thing to listen to when i open at 5 a.m at lunch and every time I'm, I'm on the road 5 a.m is an early start time that's rough sorry yeah, about that yeah i mean thanks for letting mm -hmm. us come with you on that but i'm glad i don't have to be awake at that time yeah jen is witty smart and a treasure Aww. Oh, a treasure. Her fun Aww. facts absolutely I absolutely adore because I am that nerd who also spouts out facts like that to all of my friends, so I sound cool. <laughs> <laughs> we are cool. Knowing things makes you cool. Mikey is a genius when it comes to the Patreon. Okay, okay. Sorry, yeah, I, didn't laugh. I was about to say, oh. but yeah, when it comes to agree, agree about that specifically. Yes. And I <laughs> and I look forward to the next scene in the story every week. You should turn it into a graphic novel. What? Mikey has great comedic timing and his laugh is infectious as a zombie bite. Absolutely. Oh my God. I agree. The funny thing about that last line is that is actually on his business card. <laughs> Mikey, as infectious as a zombie bite. Ladies. Oh, and let's not forget the master of it all, Todd. Oh, what? The, hyster uh, the hysterical horror virgin. Master who is, of it uh, all. The mm. bloody cherry on top of the horror Sunday. <laughs> Todd reminds me of my younger self when I didn't want to watch horror movies as a kid. 
with an older sister who always had control over the remote. That is exactly me, but my brothers. Yeah. Thank you, Todd, for being so brave. Aww. Jen, for your beautiful heart. And Mikey, for your <laughs> brilliant brain. Thank you. Your beautiful brain, Mikey. <laughs> I love this show and I hope it never ends. Love and horror, Callie. Your fellow movie nerd. And if you don't understand that last reference, I'll forgive you. Heart emoji, heart emoji, heart emoji, heart emoji, heart emoji. That's awesome. That is an amazing five-star review. I honestly am surprised that she put five hearts at the end and not just the two that Time Lords have. (laughs) Nailed it. Any other Doctor Who fans out there? I'll shut up. Oh, do I have to watch Doctor Who to become a Time Lord? That's what a Time Lord. Oh. I, I, we don't have time for this. All <laughs> right, guys. We are a member of the Consequence Podcast Network. So do us a favor and check out some of their shows like The Halloweenies or Losers Club or Kyle Meredith with This Must Be the Gig, The Fifth Dimension, The Opus, The Assembly, the assembly mm-hmm. all of those great, great podcasts or just their website at consequenceofsound.com because they have a lot of great mm-hmm. movie reviews, horror stuff, and even music stuff. It's great. It really is awesome. Yeah. If you want to check out our great shit, go to horrorvirgin.com for links to the merch store or to read Jen's blog. You can also check us out on socials at Horror Virgin, or if you want to follow us all individually, we are at Jen Ferratu with two N's, at M Randolph 24 and at Todd J. Awesome. Oh, if you want to help financially support the show, please do by going to patreon.com slash horrorvirgin, where we have a lot of great levels and a lot of great things. Uh, we just did our listener request for this upcoming month, and every mm-hmm. level is eligible to suggest episodes or suggest movies and, and vote. vote on those movies. And, you know, the higher you go, the better stuff you get, like exclusive video content, exclusive bonus episodes, that kind of stuff. So check it out. If it's something mm-hmm. you want to jump into, feel free. But if you can't financially support the show for whatever reason, please just join our Facebook group where you'll get daily free content and an awesome Awesome supportive community. That's going to be it for us. My button has been scratching too many math problems. Oh my God. I just swallowed mine. So, I, God, I, oh, yeah, I'm going to have you? to go to the hospital with right. my stomach pumped again. Uh, <laughs> all right. So, thanks for joining us for Cube, guys. Yeah. Um, I'm Jen. I'm Mikey. And I'm your horror version, Todd, guys. <laughs> have a great week. Bye. My uh, body type is Cube. body of a rectangle heart of a rubik's cube (laughs) solve me ladies (laughs) (laughs) cube nerds consequence podcast network